You've heard it said before, it's crazy out there. The world is a mess. It's just crazy out there. Or maybe you've had somebody come to you and say, can, can you please explain to me what in the world is going on? Tell me why the world is experiencing what it is experiencing. You know the experiences. Have a friend out of state who's in a work group. It happens in this work group to have two ladies who are fighting like cats and dogs. And he is tasked with suppressing World War I and World War II in the midst of trying to accomplish their mission. There's suspicion that it is complicated by an alliance that has been drawn between one of the ladies and the boss's boss and time spent together and access and privilege at work that the other one doesn't have and it's it's a hot you say why in the world are there situations like that these 11 verses that i have the privilege of sharing with you this morning they're going to explain you've seen it with me a close family or what looked like to us a very close family has a loved one die a patriarch or a matriarch and they come together give all ostensible signs of affection for each other, love. Then the estate is settled. And you begin to notice that the family's not getting together anymore. And you begin to notice that there's rancor and bitterness. And you say to yourself, why, why does the world work like this? Why, why, why does this happen? You, you've seen it with me. A guy in mid-stride of a great career, just knocking it out in his particular professional niche, doing really well, doing a little bit of traveling and it's high stress and there's pressure and there's some de-escalation of the pressure by some indulgence in alcohol that gets out of hand and comes to multiple DUIs and revocation of license and suddenly limitations that come around, pressures on the marriage, disrespect from the son, daughter to the father and Marriage faults are shown, and suddenly it's a crisis. You say, well, why does it work like that? And trying to figure out how to go multi-state with Uber and keep with this niche job that's really a great job. It's tough. I watched the story this week and wondered, what is stuff like that? You know, what is two young ladies dress up like two older ladies, get in the COVID line for their second vaccine, it worked the first time, but as they got up to get that second injection, their youth was smoked out, and they were accosted by the authorities. You see, well, why do people do that? What if I told you that Paul was going to take 11 verses in Galatians chapter 5 and explain why the world works the way it does? This is it. Come with me to Galatians chapter 5. I want to read to you this morning verses 16 through 26 from the English Standard Version. And in so doing, give the definitive explanation for why life works the way it does. Galatians 5.16. I'm going to go, I'm going to read it to you. And then I'm going to try to explain it to you with three points. The first one 
is simply there to state Paul's explanation. The second one unpacks his explanation because it boils down to two ways of life that are espoused and lived out. That's why the world works the way it does. And we'll look at these two ways of life. And finally, there'll be two questions for us to ask so that we can discern just what strategy you and I have adopted for living. Hear the word of the Lord. Galatians 5, 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Hear the word of the Lord. Now first, all of our lives run on one of two internal operating systems. Two, one of two iOSs. If you have an iPhone, they'll signal every once in a while, you need to update your iOS to get to, you know, whatever it is now, 17.5 or whatever it is. And the system is what makes the whole phone work. It's the operating nerve center that drives all of the functions of the phone. Now, life is simpler, and what is going on, there's a more simple explanation than what we've imagined. It's not complex. We either live under the sway, under the dominance of the flesh, or mankind lives under the dominance of the Spirit of God. All of, the, all of life turns on the source of influence. Parkersburg, West Virginia, DuPont Chemical Company puts some nasty stuff in the ground. It seeps into the aquifer. First animals die. Then people start getting cancer. And there's a huge plaintiff famous lawsuit. But what ensued was what happened as a result of them ingesting into their system a stream of influence that then shaped their health into the future. And when sin entered, remember, God created Adam and everything was perfect and without sin, you get to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And then sin entered. 
and there was spoiled into the elements of our human nature, the effects of sin. And so people in life either run, in terms of an iOS, an operating system, they run, they run off of the energy of the flesh as a life force or the power of the Spirit of Christ at work in our lives. Now, there's only one imperative in the 11 verses that I had the privilege of reading to you, and it is in verse 16. It's one command. Walk by the Spirit. And then an extraordinary byproduct shows up. When that happens, walk, live, flesh out, incarnate, life by the Spirit. When that happens, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And like it's difficult to understand and relate to the yearnings of the flesh. All of us can relate to that. The flesh constantly beckoning us. But we are to walk, this is to live, have a manner of life that's shaped by the Spirit. Lisa Turkerson, talking about forgiveness, is a wonderful quote for that, but she uses this idea of walking it out, living it out, living our faith out. If healing hasn't been worked out and forgiveness hasn't been walked out, chaos is what will continue to play out. And the idea of walking out the life of Jesus through the power and influence of the Spirit of God that becomes for us an internal operating system. Are we or are we not living by the Spirit? Is His agency dominating our living. There's an extraordinary byproduct that's here, of course. When that happens, when he is dominant, we do not then gratify the desires of the flesh, which are constantly calling us to such ends. So all of our lives run on one of two IOSs. Now, secondly, these internal operating systems, these IOSs, they could not be any more different. Look at verses 16, 17, and 18. We're talking about two polar extremes. We're talking about opposites. We're talking about two completely different forces at work with completely different outcomes. Now, I've been thinking for weeks about how do I handle this passage? What should I do? How slow should I go? How fast should I go? Should we slow down and calm over each one of these words? A deep dive etymologically, a deep dive in the history of their use in the first century. Uh, would that serve us well? How, how do I handle this? Alas, what we're going to do is fly over the words and consider them one by one this morning. Notice he says that the flesh runs off our natural inclination of inclinations of Adam's fallen nature. Look at verses 19, 20, and 21. This is our default mode because we're Adam's children. We don't have to work at this. This is natural to us. This is how we are apart from the grace of God. This is who we are apart from God's grace at work in our life. Now, before we look at this list, it happens to be a list of 14 terms in the vocabulary of the flesh, this is our humanity, this is what we get from Adam, our forefather, 
14 items, but notice it's not an exhaustive list. Look at verse 21. And things like these. So he's just in his vocabulary picked out 14. But notice that they are 14 of one class. There are other manifestations that he could have mentioned. He mentions 14. Think of them with me. First of all, it's a term sexual immorality. It's a catch-all term. It's really a general term for any aberrant sexual expression. God has for our good defined sexual expression and the outlet for our sexuality to be within the confines of a covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. All sexual activity outside of that construct is what is captured by this word. Maybe in other translations, it's the word fornication. It's the word from which we get our English word pornography. In fact, you can hear it in the original, pornea. And it's also, pornea was associated with prostitutes. By the way, I, I, I wish I could tell you that in the privilege that God has given me in pastoral ministry, I've never had to deal with an issue of a man consorting with a prostitute. That's not true. By the way, if you think of uh, your, your category in your mind is, uh, you know, Richard Gere and Pretty Woman, uh, the phone has changed everything. And uh, Tinder and swiping and Craigslist has uh, revolutionized the industry tragically. And our indulgence is just wreaking havoc. We all feel the power of the flesh. Paul calls it out here right in the text. Impurity. That's vice paraded daringly. We don't use the English word impudence. We don't use that word too much. It's about daring. I don't care. I have no fear of God. I'll just, I'm just out there doing it. The next word is sensuality. This is unbridled sensual license. Um, you could write Jeffrey Epstein in the margin here. You're violated to watch the news these days given the cycles of stories which are footnotes on Galatians chapter 5. Interesting term in verse 20, sorcery. It's the term from which we get our English word pharmacy. You say, sorcery, pharmacy, what's that? It's about drugs used. Now, in the first century, they used drugs for a couple reasons. They drugged their enemies and would poison them to death. That was one of their uses. The other, and it's why there's a, this English word, as they struggle to figure it out, uh, they would use it in occultish practices to heighten their sense of existential experience in the middle of the practice. So they would take the drugs to aggrandize themselves to the titillating experience they were about to have in this uh, ungodly, what they called, worship. And they would use drugs. But what's interesting is to think of our age and how beset we are, uh, one nation under pharmacology in America. Uh, it, it, now, thank God for, in his common grace, what God has given to humanity and allowed to be discovered in medicines that help us. And legitimate scripts at the pharmacy are an act of the grace of God. 
the way we are using pharmaceuticals. I, I've told you this before. There was a study done of the water around a waste treatment plant in a major city, and they found that the uh, fish started acting weird, and um, they couldn't figure out what in the world was going on, and they discerned that the levels of mental health pharmaceuticals being ingested by the persons there uh, were maintained, even washed completely through their bodies and completely through the wastewater treatment plant, that so much that they were zoning out the fish in the uh, release area such that they, they, they lost their minds and ability to figure out what they were supposed to do in their own ecosystem and multiply and go forward. Um, there's a pharmacy in Kermit, West Virginia. It's talked about in the book. I know the Calhouns are here, and Ron knows that book very well, Dreamland. Uh, it's about the opioid crisis. And um, th I think there's 431 people in Kermit, West Virginia, in Mingo County. It's butted over, uh, up against Pike County. And uh, there's a pharmacy there. And I forget the number. Ron probably knows what it is, but I, I, I forget the number. But thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of script for opioids ran through that pharmacy in one year. Uh, it was extraordinary. Uh, hundreds of thousands, as I remember. Um, that's indulgence that we as a culture have become dependent on. By the way, I'd like to tell you in pastoral ministry, I've never had to deal with anyone abusing prescription medication. Copying scripts and multiple doctors and, hey, isn't it legit? Multiple pharmacies, you know. Um, what is our operating system in life? Enmity, hostile feelings and actions, strife, contentious, a strife promoter. You ever notice people who were very good at promoting strife? Jealousies, party attachments, anger. Now, by the way, we can be angry and not sin. That's what Paul said. He, in fact, he commands us, be angry and do not sin. But this is rage. This is outbursts of anger. You ever been around a person that seemed to be like a boiling cauldron just waiting to blow their top? <clears throat> Everybody was tiptoeing around so it wouldn't happen. Rivalries, outbreaks of rival disputes. Social tribalism, dissensions. I remember Pigpen, Charles Schultz, Peanuts. He always walked around with that dark cloud. He didn't take care of himself. Somebody needed to hose Pigpen off. Well, there are some people that what follows them is not a cloud of dirt, but a cloud of strife and a cloud of pitching people against each other. They can move into a situation and um, they're dividers in chief, factious, divisions, verse 21, envy. By the way, how do you handle other people's fortune? At the root of the idea of envy is being embittered by the good fortune that comes to others. Drunkenness, drinking bouts is what it's describing. Orgies, you say, oh. Eric, come on, the days of Caligula, Roman Empire, we're, we're way, way beyond that. That's crazy. That don't even go on. January 30th, Paris, France, the authorities descended upon what was called a sex warehouse. Where they interrupted an orgy involved 
involving 100 people. They arrested three. How dare they host this during COVID? That was the problem. The works of the flesh. Now, what's interesting is the flesh is secret. It's embedded. It's invisible. All of us have the presence of indwelling sin in our humanity here this morning. But I'm not kidding. You look really good this morning. I can't see it at all. You're, you're attentive. You're, you're, you're looking. You're here. It's invisible. It's embedded in our humanity. But its outworking is public, visible, and evident. Look at verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, are evident. They can't be hidden. They show up. Everything about the flesh destroys everything about New Testament koinonia. What God wants and how we relate in high regard for each other, in respect and deference for each other, in outdueling each other for expressing honor to each other. Everything that the virtues of the Spirit build up in how people relate is torn apart by the works of the flesh. You can say this. What happened to that family? It was totally blown out. The flesh was at work at some level. What happened to that work group? Man, they, they were recognized corporate-wide as knocking it out. And good night, that's a trash pit right now. What happened? The works of the flesh were there. That used to be a wonderful place to live. By the way, Indy and I are aware of a neighborhood as a Facebook page. What people do uh, uh, digitally is just amazing, you know, and, and so it's just a, a digital food fight because they don't like each other on the same street. You know, what's that? It's the work of the flesh. It's what's here. The flesh is natural to us. It's our default mode. Oh, we try to hide it well, but it comes out. It becomes manifest. Now, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the selfless life of Jesus. Look at verse 25. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 23. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I love that phrase. The idea that the Spirit of God holding such dominant sway over us, we're in step with the Spirit. You ever watch two ice dancers that had spent a lot of time together and who'd practice everything? I mean, every move is just, it's, it's beauty. It's it's choreography, it's dancing on the ice, and they're just in step with each other. Uh, that's what's described here, where the Spirit of God holds such sway over our miserable flesh that here's, what, here's what's happened. Now, by the way, this life that is going to be described by Paul is not natural. It's not natural to be selfless in love and prefer somebody else over ourselves. That's supernatural. That's not natural. The flesh is natural. That's normal. That's our default. Uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit is supernatural. It's going to take something. Uh, we had fun this week, uh, Andy and I. She showed me a picture of uh, our friends. It was after Valentine's Day, and she had posted, I think on Valentine's Day, you know, this is my Valentine or something. It was a throwback picture from years ago. Ladies, do you remember big hair? Well, she had some big hair going. And her blonde hair, I mean, it was sticking up like this off of her head. It wouldn't seem like that in the picture. So, uh, and, and 
we, we love them, and, and she's like a sister's, and I always tease my sister's. So I, I couldn't resist, you know. So I text her, hey, Amy, did you have to plug your hair back in, that, in, in the day to make sure it would look like that? Because that's not natural. Your hair doesn't look like that. She had to do something to her hair to make sure that it would take on that form. And that big hair is not natural. So something had to enter in to her, the experience of her hair to get there for that look. And whatever it was, she had it figured out because it was going on if, you know, if you like that kind of stuff. Verse 25, we now live by the Spirit. The animating system, our new iOS, is the Spirit of God. That makes us different. And isn't it interesting, he uses the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. There's something natural about the emergence of fruit on a living plant. There's something natural about the emergence of fruit on a living tree. Why does a healthy peach tree give a great peach? You know why? Because it's alive. It can't help it. It's the overflow of the life in the tree that shows up in the fruit. And as the Spirit of God comes to live in us and form Christ in us, here's what comes out, these nine traits Together in a cluster, they, this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's one. It's, it, it's a unit. John Stott said the first three relate to God. And what happens when we have our relationship right with God? The second three are three social virtues that define how we relate to other people. The third three speak to our character, the character of a person of God. First, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Selfless, deference for others. Easy to read. Easy for me to articulate those words. To close the Bible and articulate that in marriage and friendship and in work and in the neighborhood and on the sports team and in the classroom. That's hard. It's not natural. We love ourselves. That's natural. To defer to love others and crucify ourselves. That's unnatural and takes the power of the Spirit of Christ. Joy, delight, gladness. Has there ever been a day when we needed more delight and gladness to pass around in the middle of this, whatever this is? Love, joy, peace, harmonized relationships, rest, rest in the peace of how we're relating, the joy of it all, patience, forbearance toward others, being long-tempered. Not short-tempered, long-tempered, patience. Before I got married, I, I've told you this before, I, I was in a car with Dad, and I said, Dad, level with me. Why didn't you and Mom ever get a divorce? A lot of their peers, you know. He said, oh, I can explain that in one word. And I thought, oh, that's pretty impressive. I said, well, what is it? He said, toleration. And then we laughed for about two miles. And the last 38 years, I've pondered how much my father understood about love. Love bears all things. Love overlooks faults. Isn't toleration at the center? Being patient with others, long-tempered? Kindness. This is the concept of good generosity. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's the Greek translation of this term. shows up in Psalm 34, 8. This is God. This is what God is like. He's kind. Goodness, upright, morally honorable faithfulness, trustworthy. Verse 23, gentleness. Are you gentle? I'm reading a book, and we'll, we'll take off on Wednesday night, and we've 
kind of sputtered. Right when we got ready to start this semester of Calvary University, remember it's one of our R's, renewing our minds, Wednesday nights. We got ready to start, and we've had two weather events the last two Wednesdays. We're going to get to gentle and lowly. And this book has plowed my heart. Because of all the things said of me, two or three nice things in the last 61 years, Nobody ever said, Eric, I just got to tell you, you're one of the most gentle guys I've ever been around. Gentleness. That's a supernatural work of the Spirit of God on a person's persona. Is that you? Is that me? Finally, self-control. Temperance. It's the right use of power. So, Eric, then, verses 16 through 18, what iOS system is running your life? What iOS system is running mine? All of us need to sit down and open the systems app and identify the operating system. Two questions this morning. One is the mortuary audit. How is crucifixion going where you are? Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, by the way, this term, keep in step with the Spirit, it's a term for uh, an army called out to the line. So it's mustering out on a line in preparation for it. And that, that's keeping in step with the Spirit. The Spirit of God is beckoning us to mortify our sin, put it to death, take the energy out of our flesh, and yield ourselves to Christ. We have to crucify the flesh. By the way, remember that crucifixion is a slow death, and it's a process. That'll keep you from being disappointed, because you might wake up tomorrow and say, I purpose to not have my mind be dominated by any sexual fantasy that's sequestered outside of my spouse, if we are married, or given away in my mind to anyone, if we are single. You start out, and you take off. And you, you, you have an extraordinary morning where you wrestle down every high thought that throws itself up, up against the knowledge of God. You bring every thought captive to Christ and his righteousness and take it away. The, the verb there is of a spear being put in a prisoner's back and as you're walking down a trail and you've done that to every thought and you're going casting down casting down these strongholds this is great and about 3 30 you hit a flat spot and you know find yourself in the midst of something it's like where what in the world oh i've, I've blown it. remember crucifixion is a slow death it takes a lifetime we are not now what we once were we're not yet what we're going to be and when we see him we'll be like him but there'll be a struggle all the way home, and the struggle is mortifying the flesh. It's a fight. It's why Paul admired those words so much. I have fought a good fight, because it is a fight. And the question this morning is, are you in the fight? Now, here, give me one second. There's a theory of sanctification. You know, on the one hand, you have people, oh, no, I'll tell you, here's how you grow up in Christ. Let go and let God. You're passive. You don't do anything. Well, I don't know about you, but that sounds little like mortify the flesh. You've got to crucify it. No, we are all executioner, executioners who take the flesh 
out on those Galgothas and crucify it. That's something we do. We present our members to our Lord for righteousness. You see, the whole tension of the Christian life is hung on a comma in Philippians 2.12 and 13. Philippians 2.12 is this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, I'm going to fall off. For it is God who works within you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, comma. If you stop reading there, you think, man, this all depends on me. I've got to do it all. But as we yield ourselves to the Lord, working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, then God's at work within us, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. And it's not either or, it's both and. Wright State University neurophysiologist professor, kind of a kinesiology doctor wrapped up into one, he was doing research on how to get paraplegics to walk again. And so he mapped the neuro signals that our brain sends to all our muscular and nerve structure in our legs. And he mapped it all out and says, this fires first and this fires and this fires. Hooked, a, hooked the paraplegic's legs up to all the electrodes and said, you get up and you hold the parallel bars. And he says, now here's what you do. I want you in your mind to think that you're walking. And when I tell you to walk, I want you to start walking. Did they have any capacity to walk? No. But he gave them capacity because he'd say, all right, I want you to think about walking now. Right as he turned the switch on, on the machine, and, 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 and they started. And, and they would walk across. you say, were they walking? Well, yeah, they were walking. Were they responsible for walking? Well, not, not really, but they gave themselves to it. And as they gave themselves to it, the surge of the electrodes would carry them home. And so it is with our sanctification. You say, Eric, I don't look at those. I feel the flesh. I feel its power. And as I give myself to it, as I give myself to mortifying, I feel powerless. The very process of giving ourselves to it is the arena where the power of the Spirit of Christ begins to work. And we actually do get toward putting to death those deeds in the flesh. And what emerges is the power of the Spirit. It's like uh, twice a week I run on a treadmill, try to walk uh, some of the other days. And um, I'll, I'll, I go the same speed every time I'm on it, and I put it up there. But that treadmill is governing the pace. And once I get up there, I have a decision to make. Shall I run faster? I'll run into the bar. Shall I run slower? It'll throw me off the back. But I keep in step with the pace set by the Spirit. Am I doing anything? Yeah. Can, treadmills can really not, they'll kick you right in the tail. But they're setting a pace that you give yourself to, and that's what's going on here. We have been affected by Adam's flesh, and Christ has come to live in us. And he's given us a capacity with the Spirit of God to keep in step with him so that we reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive into Christ. So here's the question. How is crucifixion going where you are? Second question. The relationship test, how are we relating to others? If the works of the flesh destroy relationships and the fruit of the Spirit enhance relationships, let's lay our relationships out on the table right now. There was relationship carnage in Galatia. Look at verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Please note, note to self, this is in the church. This is not way out there, wicked worlds in the church. You see, there's a good old-fashioned food fight going on here. 
And uh, Paul's saying, this looks nothing like the spirit and looks everything like the flesh. Now, some say, I'll tell you what, I'm glad the works of the flesh are in there. That's so we can look out there at that wicked world and say, wicked world, we see you out there. We see you. And then those kinds of people's life verses, shining as lights in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. We kind of even articulate, wicked and perverse. But I want you to know that the works of the flesh is a passage written to the church. We can say that's the way of the world, but would we not have to say that a lot of the ways of the world live in the pews at the church? F.F. Bruce said this, the purpose of this list is not to distinguish an outstanding group of high moral standards from the abominable immorality of the world, but to show the church how much this world is living in their midst. Russell Moore this week commenting on a, a yet another scandal in evangelical leadership in America wrote this, the church is bleeding out the next generation. Not because the culture is so opposed to the church's fidelity to the truth, but just the reverse. The culture often does not reject us because they don't believe the church's doctrinal and moral teachings, but because they have evidence that the church doesn't believe its own doctrinal and moral teachings. They suspect that Jesus is just a means to an end to some political agenda, to a market for selling merchandise, or for the predatory appetites of some maniacal narcissist. Eric, give me a good way of assessing my IOS. Lay your relationships out. How's it going? Does it look like the road out of Kuwait City after Gulf War I when the A-10s were just smashing the Iraqi, fleeing Iraqi army? Remember Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, even his enemies are at peace with him. Who is angry with us? Why? Who are we irreconciled with? Why? By the way, we cannot heal every relationship we want to heal unilaterally. It takes two. But we want to be in there pitching so on the great day God can say, I saw you, and I saw the effort you were putting in. Who has cut off contact with us? Why? Has it been them or us? Why? With whom are we not speaking? With whom do we want to avoid? Which IOS is in play? Everything about the works of the flesh destroys New Testament koinonia. Every glory in the fruit of the Spirit brings us together. Now, there's a lot at stake here. Go to verse 21 and we'll quit. I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's sobering. That's striking. Now, by the way, Galatians 5.21 has beset followers of Jesus with a tender conscience who've read that verse and said, oh, I struggle in the flesh trying to mortify it. It's not sinless perfection that is underway. I love Luther's phrase in that we are justified, made right with God through Jesus Christ by his grace while still sinners. But it is about the habitual practice of sin. And if there's the uninterrupted habitual practice of sin in a besetting habit, there's no reason to believe we've passed out of nature and we've come supernaturally to grace where we're living differently. And we need to repent because nobody in habitual practice, according to this verse, is going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. But remember, right after Paul says that in 1 Corinthians, he says, but such were some of you, but you've been washed and you've been cleansed 
and you've been brought in. And so we have in Graceland. What is characteristic of our lives? Is it the flesh or is it the spirit? What are we leaving behind in our wake and in our network? May God give us grace to rise up in this moment and to have his, be plugged in indeed to him. So that what ensues is the fruit of the Spirit. Now let's pray. Father, what would you have us to ponder and think of? What are you calling us to repent from? What are you calling us to put to death? Lord, we're weak. If we're going to rise up and be your people, we need your strength. There's not a person here who's not humbled to read through the works of the flesh. May the power of the Spirit of Christ wielding the sword of the Word of God make us people lost in your grace with growing conformity to the person of your Son, Jesus, our Lord, whose name I pray. Amen.